Wednesday, March 28, 2018. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. It is the final week of March. Can't believe 25% of the year has already gone past, and we are uh, wrapping up our Women's Veterans Athletes Initiative, brought to you by the Center for Women Veterans. Before we get to the featured interview, uh, just want to mention that tomorrow, March 29th, is National Vietnam War Veterans Day. Me and my team and other members of VA, along with probably a couple members of, uh, of the administration, will be down at the Vietnam Wall here in Washington, D.C. Uh, for an event. Um, follow us on Twitter and Instagram for coverage on that event and, and some images from uh, from what will be going on down there. Always powerful images coming uh, from the Vietnam uh, Vietnam War Memorial uh, down on the National Mall. So the final installment of the four-part series for the uh, Women Veterans Athletes Initiative um, will bring us Sarah Holzab, who is a Coast Guard veteran serving from 2002 to 2007. While grieving the suicides of two shipmates, she decided to train for her first marathon. She is now a st- staff member at Team RWB as their relationships manager. She's going to talk to us about her time in the Coast Guard, transitioning out, getting involved with Team RWB, and uh, the the power that the Team RWB community uh, brings to not only the veteran space, but the local community. Enjoy. There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. Sarah Holzab, the the final installment of our four-week podcast series for the Women Veteran Athlete Initiative put on by the Center for Women Veterans. Uh, Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be able to have this opportunity. So, sir, we, we start each conversation with the same idea, same concept, one that all us veterans have in common. That's the decision to join the United States military. Bring us back to that decision mm-hmm. for you. Um, well, I'd say that uh, it probably started when I was, when I was little. Um, I'm born and raised in Virginia uh, in the country and uh, an area of Virginia that's pretty – uh, rich in our nation's history, military history. And so I grew up around a lot of the civil war and revolutionary war battlefields and, um, trips to DC to see monuments and museums, both with my family with school field trips. And so some kind of having a, an appreciation for, for history and military service was something that, uh, was kind of instilled in me from the beginning from my family. Um, and one of my first heroes was my grandpa, my mom's uh, father, who was a Marine in uh, World War II. He served in the South Pacific uh, with the 2nd Marine Division. Um, so I, he, I was always fascinated uh, looking at old pictures that he had of, of him and his war buddies that 
kind of tucked away in this old manila envelope. And um, it was pretty much the only thing that was kind of left over from his war of sorts. He didn't talk about it too much. Um, and he'd catch me looking at him and just say, you know, I just don't understand what you found so interesting. It was something that I just did, which seems to be a pretty typical response regarding a lot of the, the World War II veterans. Um, and uh, so he was kind of like my first example of a role model who served our country and uh, my first you know, veteran in my life and taught me a lot of important lessons growing up. And I also have an uncle who served 20 years as an officer in the Coast Guard. And I always remember it being so cool uh, when he was at sea for months at a time and seeing pictures of him at sea and when he came home. And um, so the Coast Guard appealed to me um, being the oldest seagoing service in our country and uh, its primary mission being uh, saving lives and search and rescue. And that kind of appealed to me. So when I was looking into colleges, I had two priorities. One was serving in the military and the other one was, was playing basketball, which was my first sport. Um, kind of like my first love. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to receive an, an appointment to the Coast Guard Academy where I was a cadet, uh, for two years and I played basketball and, um, Unfortunately, I had a hard time passing physics and calculus uh, as a poli-sci major, so um, those two subjects were not uh, my strong suit. So uh, I got dismissed from the academy for grades, <laughs> um, which as a, as a young 20-year-old was like the worst thing that ever happened to me oh, in my yeah. life. Yeah. It was a good life lesson early on, uh, and um, so I went home to Virginia, and I, I finished my uh, bachelor's at Virginia Commonwealth University, uh, also known as VCU, um, and about a week after graduation from college, I, I entered OCS for the Coast Guard um, and received my commission into the fleet that way, so, uh, you know, even when I left the academy, I, I, still, I still wanted to serve, I still wanted to see if I could you know, have a, a first career in the military. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the story of how I, I got into the military in the first place. Yeah. A couple of things that you mentioned there, uh, you know, World War II vets, um, a lot of them do just sort of, you know, sort of nonchalantly like, yeah, that's the thing I did because in during World War II, war was just the thing that the nation did. You know, it was, you know, know. Uh, you know, every every member of a family or a lot of members of a family had some sort of contribution, whether they were uh, whether they were, you know, doing supporting here on this side or they joined the nurse corps or they actually went off and deployed to uh, to, you know, to Europe and, and whatnot. But it uh, it was and that's one of the reasons why I think we call it the greatest generation, because, you know, people just sure. you know, the war was just what the nation was doing and everybody uh, that was capable and willing uh Signed up for it, came back and went about life, um, which I think mm -hmm. is I think I think current conflict veterans or recent conflict veterans can kind of resonate with that. But even then, it was more I think um, because there is you know lack of social media and a lack of everybody's opinion. I think everybody sort of felt and understood that like all right, well this is just what we're doing as as a nation. So um, I'm not not surprised to hear that uh, that your grandfather responded that way. Yeah, he, and he he had a best friend that he ended up enlisting with um, from high school that him and his wife were friends with my grandparents the rest of their lives. 
they're actually the godparents to my mom and, and her brother. And so he really only chatted about it with his, with his buddy that he enlisted with. Um, and my grandmother still has this old, uh, small, tiny address book that he carried with him through the whole war. And on the very back page, um, whenever he figured out which Island they were on, he would write it down. And so on this, on this last page of this address book are the names like Saipan, Tinian, Tarawa, Okinawa. And so it's kind of funny, but that last page kind of truly speaks to the places that he was and, and the, you know, what he probably saw in the service that he had with his Marines. So um, that last page just kind of tells the whole story of his war, even though he won't talk about it. So yeah. it's kind of a neat little memento that she still has. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, um, failing out of, uh, of, of school and, um, how like, how like when you're, when you're that, when you're that young, that's just, just like, it just wrecks you. And I, I remembered it, it, it was a smaller scale, but I felt the same thing when I was, um, I, I was a corporal, I think maybe it was a Lance corporal and, and I got sent off to coach's course to become a range coach, right? If you pass this course, you'd become uh, a coach on the range. And, yeah, I didn't really. I didn't. I was still new enough in the military to not really understand how these things work. And so, like when my gunny was like, "Hey, we're sending you this thing," I was like, "Oh, okay." And so I went with like the intent of like, "All right, I better make sure I do well here." And <laughs> I didn't. I I I um I didn't shoot well on one of the quals, and they're like, "Yeah, you're 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 gone. We're not. Uh, we we can't. You know, you, you didn't meet. You didn't meet." And then like, and I had this like long like head down walk all the way back from the range back to the bit like like back to my car i got back to my shop and i was like gunny i i got uh, uh i got dismissed and she's like okay all right well uh the and like she just went about it and, <laughs> and then i had, and then you know obviously you know as i as I served longer, I understood that like she just put me up because they required her to give to give them a name, right? She didn't actually like want mm-hmm. me to go do this thing. They just required her to put up a name, and probably was almost pleased that this wasn't another responsibility that uh, someone in her shop was going to have to have. So, um, but yeah, I, I felt that same like, oh, I can't believe I just failed. This is horrible, and something that is like totally wasn't uh, didn't even matter. Um, yeah, me- you look back on it now and you're like, well, it was a good lesson to learn, but it's, yeah. my life didn't end like I thought it was going to. <laughs> yeah, and that that actually was like, the, that was, you know, that is the good lesson to have early on is, is you know, when you're a couple years removed from it, you're like, oh, like that's being able to put failure um into like into perspective i think is really is an important value early on on like what actually has impact on your life what really matters in like failure and success and so um i'm sure you yeah. benefited from that as well tell tell me about uh tell me about a friend or a, a close friend or or a great leader that you had while you were in the military you can choose either one but tell me about that person um there, there's one person, he's at, he was actually both. Um, there was a, a guy named Frank who was what we called a, a Mustang uh, in the Coast Guard. He was prior, enlisted in, in the Coast Guard, went to boot camp, made um, chief petty officer, and then ended up getting a commission as a uh, chief warrant officer and then went from chief warrant officer to lieutenant. So kind of like a real high flyer. And he, he was a very good friend of mine um, and was almost a mentor to me as well. Uh, just 
was one of those enlisted guys that as a young junior officer, I just, I learned from, like I, I did my best as a young J.O. to, to make sure I, I kept my mouth shut and, and listened and learned to the enlisted guys that I worked with. And he was probably one of the first people that, um, it just taught me to always leave my door open for my people, um, that it was important to acknowledge the good work and, and the successes that your team and that your crew has. Uh, but at the same time that you, you've got to, you got to stand up for them, uh, which was extremely important to him, you know, making sure that it, it, you spoke up when you felt that they weren't being treated well and, and kind of protecting them from others. Um, so he was a, a career coast guardsman, great person, and, and just really not only taught me things from, you know, a leadership perspective, like I mentioned, but very practical skills as well when it came to, um, you know, seamanship and, and, and doing things out at sea as well. So he uh, he's probably one of the first people that I think about when, when people ask about good leaders and people that taught you some valuable lessons. He's probably the first person that I think about. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so what, uh, what, what prompted your transition out then? Um, I just got to the point where I, I was, didn't think the jobs are going to be that much fun anymore. Um, <laughs> I didn't join the military to, to sit at a desk of sorts. Um, and the Coast Guard had gone through a bit of a reorganization around the time that I was getting out and, uh, where they had consolidated smaller units that um, an O3 or O4 would have, you know, command or, or, or be executive officer of um, like small rescue search and rescue stations. And that's what I wanted to do. And those were kind of going away. So I honestly just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the rest of my career. Um, and I didn't want to just kind of, you know, go to the next assignment and just kind of, um, you know, float through it or whatnot. So, um, I separated from active duty after five years in, in 2007. And, uh, I ended up taking a, a job within the maritime shipping industry here, uh, in new Orleans is where I live. And, um, I worked for a, uh, trade association that represented shipping companies that supported the offshore oil and gas industry in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and most of those companies were shipping companies that are regulated by the Coast Guard. So I learned some of the shipping regulations while still on active duty. Um, so it was, a, it was a good job that I did for, for almost 10 years. Um, and I did a little bit of regulatory affair work and, and government relations work. So, um, you know, at the time, uh, it was it was a good transition for me at the time, kind of pretty, I would say for the most part, fairly easy. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like my, my next job. But uh, once I separated from the Coast Guard. Yeah. Did you, so as, as a Coast Guard veteran, and you know, we always, uh, you always joke about the Coast Guard, you know, being the, the, the fifth and forgotten branch or, um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it seems like anytime that I'm on, uh, like anytime I'm a part of a panel or anything, like it's, there's, Hardly, there's hardly ever Coast Guard representation. I'm just curious, like, what your experience has been being a Coast Guard veteran. If you've ever had to like convince someone that you're a veteran, or like remind them that the Coast Guard <laughs> is a part of the military, or, or just any any maybe um, unique experience that you sort of feel like you're having as a Coast Guard veteran that that probably the other four branches aren't experiencing. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to talk to people about Coast Guard history and, and the role that we've played um, in our nation's history because the Coast Guard's been involved in every single armed conflict we've had since, I mean, I'm trying to think, like maybe the Spanish-American War, um, maybe that far back, but definitely, uh, you know, World War One and, and up till today. Um, so it's kind of fun to tell people about that. And, uh, you know, a lot of the um, landing craft, that, the Higgins boats that were uh, driven in World War II, a lot of those were, were driven by Coast Guard toxins, which is kind of cool. Um, so, it, you know, I, sometimes I have to convince people that were part of the military service. <laughs> Um, other people are just like, you know, what in the world do you guys do? Um, and I've had that conversation a lot with some of my, um, some of my friends and, and coworkers on the team, our WB staff, I'm the only Coastie on staff. And, um, up until, uh, our new director of development, Megan King got hired. I was the only, um, seagoing person, like everyone else on the staff was either, from the army and we've got one air force guy. So it's been fun kind of telling them the stuff that we do. Um, you know, if I, if I tell sea stories and, and show them pictures and videos of, of coast guard ships getting thrashed at sea, they're like, Oh uh-uh, no, I'll stick to dry land. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, but I think since, um, especially since September 11th, you know, the Coast Guard um, has been part of the, the Department of Homeland Security since then. I think that's kind of given a little bit more uh, exposure to the Coast Guard and what we do. Um, and, I mean, I hate to say it, unfortunately, you know, tragedies such as like Hurricane Katrina and, and right. some of the other hurricanes that have happened in the last 10 years is has really kind of given more of an exposure to the Coast Guard and you know, those kinds of rescues and, and things that you see on TV are things that happen every day um, in air stations and boat stations around the country. And uh, so it's kind of neat to, to have people see that type of stuff that like, yeah, that's our job. And, um, you know, that type of stuff happens every day. So. Right. Um, so then, uh, you know, you're featured on here because you are uh, an athlete and, and you enjoy uh, you know, physical fitness and, and, and being active. Um, you know, tell us, I, I know that you have, uh, I know that your, your decision to train for your first marathon uh, comes with a, from a story of significance. Will you, uh, will you share that with us? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I ran track in high school, um, you know, and just kind of being in the military would run for just general fitness, but, I didn't really get into the long distance running uh, marathons and, and, and some ultra marathons um, until I was about 29 years old. So it's been almost 10 years. Um, <clears throat> so training for my first marathon uh, happened in 2009. Um, I was two years um, out of the Coast Guard when I lost four, four influential, pretty important people in my life in, in the span of a month. Um, one of those was my grandfather that I spoke about earlier. Um, and three of those people were in a 10-day period. Um, two of those were Coast Guard shipmates uh, that I lost to suicide. Uh, one of those was my friend Frank that I also talked about earlier. So, um 
I was in a position where I, I was mostly dealing with the grief alone, which was difficult. I wasn't around other people or other shipmates of mine that, that knew particularly the coasties that I had just lost to suicide. You know, they were stationed other parts around the country or lived other places around the country. And, um, so just kind of dealing with the, the confusion and the grief and all the questions that linger after events like that was, was difficult. Um, so in an attempt to heal, I, I decided to train for my first marathon, which is Marine Corps. And it was one of those events that, that I had in the back of my head for a long time. And I said, you know, if I ever run a marathon, like that's the one I want to do. Um, just because of the significance of it, not only because of my grandfather, but just cause of, you know, it's the people's marathon. It's just the event itself is just very military focused and, you know, kind of not only celebrating military, but also, um, remembering those that, that have gone before us as well. So, um, I trained for that and that really brought me my, my first post military team of sorts, um, in the form of men and women who ran the race every year together. Um, and we just, there's probably 15 to 20 of them that most of them run almost every year. Um, we keep in touch online and we get together whenever any of us happen to be in the same town as, as another one. And, um, so we get together every year and we, we run it together. And, you know, those are some of the, the best men and women that I've met, you know, I was able to, share my struggles and, and my story with them without fear of judgment. Um, and it's a really neat mix of both military veterans and civilians. Um, and uh, so that's kind of what brought me into the, the long distance running community. I, I crossed the finish line uh, of that marathon in like so much pain that I told myself, I said, mark my words, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and <laughs> that was probably maybe eight or nine marathons ago. So yeah, that, that really has brought me into, into having running as being kind of like my main, my main source of physical fitness and activity. <laughs> yeah. So. Sort of like, like, like a bad hangover, right? Where you're just like, never yeah. again, never again. And then, and then some, the, the yeah. next opportunity comes point, around. You forget and, about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, so a, a quote that the that the Center for Women Veterans has on um, on their website under um, under your uh, spotlight there. Uh, every run, every race is therapy for my body and mind. I found a family and team, red, white, and blue, forming a authentic relationships through physical, social, and volunteer service. And I know that you've alluded to that uh, in what you just described, but let's yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about Team Red, White, and Blue and the the both the physical and mental benefits that you're getting uh, from being a being a member. Sure, and I, I actually yeah, I learned about Team Red WB from some of the friends that I met running Marine Corps Marathon, and um, so I I've been full-time with RWB as a full-time employee since October, 2016. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't an Eagle before that. Um, so didn't, I didn't have a, a chapter near me or anything like that. So when I started working for, for RWB is when I started a chapter here in new Orleans and, and participating in events at the local level. Um, and just having that sense of teamwork, that, that sense of camaraderie and people to, break a sweat with, whether it's running or, um, you know, 
doing a hard CrossFit workout together or even just getting together um, for a cup of coffee, you know, just having those genuine connections with, with each other is, is what's important. And I think it's something that um, most veterans can agree. They, they miss the most when they separate from service is just having those people around them that they know they can trust and um, confide in, but also just kind of, uh, you know, do hard things together. Um, so being part of RWB is, is something that for me has been extremely beneficial, both, um, you know, most, mostly, positive for my, for my mental and, uh, emotional wellness, um, both from a career standpoint and as well as, uh, from a personal standpoint, um, you know, my husband and I have gotten the, the kids involved in the local chapter. So they're able to, you know, participate in activities, both physical and volunteer service. And, um, you know, at first they were wondering, why are we going to run three miles every week? Like it was almost kind of pulling, <laughs> it was almost like pulling teeth, but you know, why are we doing this? But then, um, they'll run or they'll ride their bikes or they'll, you know, participate in a volunteer project with other RWB members. And they listen to, um, you know, they hear the conversations that we're having with each other and, uh, it prompts them to ask us questions about what they're hearing. And so that, that gives, um, you know, it gives my husband and I an opportunity to have a conversation with them and, uh, you know, educate them a little bit on what RWB is and how important it is to, whether you're a part of RWB or, or another um, group, like to have a community around you. And um, I think that's what's most important about groups like RWB is just finding a way to have genuine connections and interests with other people around you, um, you know, for your own day-to-day physical and, and mental health and, and to know that you've got people to fall back on when, when things get hard and when you need a hand. Yeah. Do you, so have you, um, and you sort of, you mentioned it, it's, it's, it was sort of like pulling teeth and that, that, um, uh, maybe they're starting to get it. Have you, have you noticed that they're start, starting to be able to maybe wrap their heads around a little bit, the significance of having a community like that? Yeah, I really think they do. It's, um, it, honestly, it only took once or twice of, of going to the weekly RWB run when they started asking, Hey, are we going to do that thing next week? <laughs> they started asking like, are we going to go do that activity? Um, and, uh, you know, I think they enjoy it for both their schools. They've got required service hours they have to do anyway. Um, and they usually ask if first, you know, they'll, they'll ask me, is there an RWB event that we can participate in to help get service hours? Cause I think they find it fun. Um, you know, they might work hard, but at the same time, they're having a good time. And, um, you know, one of the, I think, the biggest volunteer service event they've been a part of it is packing up um, hurricane relief packages at a food bank in New Orleans. They've done that a couple of different times. And so I think they get the significance that they're around other RWB members, they're around other parts of the community. Um, so not only are they getting to know the people, you know, within our group and our chapter, but they're also seeing like they're packing, they're, they're packaging these relief supplies for 
people that are going to need them down the road and they're they're contributing to helping other folks in their local community where we live so um, it took a few times for them to kind of I think grasp all the, the moving parts but uh, they're to the point now where they start asking about upcoming events and so that's always exciting yeah um, I'm gonna um, go back a little bit to your uh, to your marathon running and training. How, do, do you do you try to do a marathon? Like, uh, do, you, do you have like a do you have a certain frequency in which you try to run? Do you just get inspired by a certain type of races? What's your approach to uh, to marathons? Um, it's kind of changed <laughs> since it's almost been ten years. I I went re- after that first one. I went really hard after it. Just like okay, like what's next? Um, <laughs> and I. So I tried to do different races here and there. Um, like I had the opportunity to do uh, the Athens Marathon in Greece, the original yeah. one. Which was just, that was, I mean, that's probably going to hands down go down. as probably like my favorite race ever just because of just the uniqueness of it. And just the, the timing of me being able to do that just worked out perfectly. Um, but now I, I've kind of, I say I, I chilled out a little bit. I, I try to do Marine Corps every year. Um, and that's really just more of just a camaraderie thing. Like I don't race it, but my husband and I have also gotten more into trail running the last couple of years. Um, we're part of a really neat grassroots, small trail running community, um, here in Louisiana. So <clears throat> there's one gentleman who does, uh, he's a race director and puts on a bunch of races throughout the state. So we try to do a couple of those a year just cause they're fun. And it's a small group of people that we've gotten to know. Um, and we've also done, um, there's a, there's another race we've done every March for the last probably four years in Mississippi. And <clears throat> it's either a 50 miler or a 50 K, which is 31 miles. And we've done that every year the last four years. Um, so I, I, you know, I would say within the last couple of years, there's only two major races I'll do a year, um, Marine Corps. And then this one big ultra marathon, <clears throat> but now we're to the point where <laughs> this year we did, we just finished the 50 K, uh, race that I talked about the first week of March. And after that, we, we both kind of looked at each other and said, we need to just kind of chill. Like, let's find something, Let's find some simpler races, lower distances, some new challenges to do. Um, so I think now we're just gonna we're gonna focus on some shorter distances, but just try some new races in the area. Yeah, very well. I, I um, it's cool that you did the one out uh, in Greece. I've, I've always told myself that uh, if if I were to do a marathon, um, I think in the list of preference, uh, I, w- I would like to do the one uh, yeah, the original marathon first, uh, and then after that, I may actually just create my own twenty six point two distance and go run that. Right, so I don't have, <laughs> so I don't have to like <laughs> sign up or worry about someone else's uh, someone else's route or anything. I'm just going to find uh, my my own and. Because I mean that's all that's like people say when you run a marathon you're essentially just you're running a certain distance right so if you run the distance technically yeah. you ran a marathon right so um, yeah exactly yeah you could be your own race director <laughs> exactly exactly um, I want to before we before we wrap up I, I want to uh, ask you a little bit about uh, your on TMRDB's websites um, on a uh, on the Saturday spotlight that they did for you back um, uh, you have mm-hmm. uh, your motto we can do hard things um, what uh, 
where does that motto come from uh, in your life? And maybe give us like the most recent example of, of that motto coming through for you. Oh, actually, I'm glad you asked that. So that um, motto is actually from, uh, it's from the Marine Corps Marathon group that I've gotten to know. There's this really fantastic group of women. There's probably 12 of them. uh, And we keep in touch with each other. And one of the girls in that group kind of said that quote a couple of years ago. And it's just just kind of stuck with us. It definitely stuck with me. Um, You know, and I think it's, you can look at it any other ways, um, any way you want. We can do hard things. You can, um, you know, train for that ultra marathon and, and make it through the pain of that. You can take on a new physical challenge, uh, you know, do something, have the bravery and courage to, to do something that you've never done before. Um, but I think at the same time, you can look at it from a different perspective where, um, in, within your own personal life, you can have, uh, the difficult conversation with someone, uh, that you might need to have, you know, be vulnerable, share your story with other people, which is something that we talk about in RWD quite a bit is, you know, some of the things that I've shared with you today and in the spotlight, um, that have become my story, particularly losing those four people that were close to me is, um, you know, sharing that can be, can be difficult. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can do it and being able to be vulnerable and share things that you've been through and, and personal difficulties, not only I think can help, um, you know, us as individuals ourselves, but you never know how that may help someone else. And until you're willing to kind of break down some barriers and be vulnerable, you can't really, uh, you can't really have a genuine connection and in, in a, in a solid conversation with some other people. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, you know, whether it's kind of uh, having your own personal courage to take on a, a new physical fitness feat or try something uh, different in life to um, being willing, being willing to talk about um you know, some hardships and, and having difficult conversations with people. I think um, that's kind of where, that's where the motto has come from. And, and that's what it means to me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. Tell me, uh, um, tell me about a, a, an experience or a skill set that you gained in the military that you believe is contributing to your success today. Oh, um, I'd have to say probably maybe just proper preparation for anything. I mean, whether it's, you know, a work project, um, you know, given a presentation or uh, sticking with the physical fitness, thing, like training for a race, you know, um, knowing what you have to do and, and making sure that you put in the tough work um, to be successful and as prepared as possible to to know your job. Um, I think that's probably one of the, the, the best lessons that I learned in the military. Um, saying that, though, at the same time, remaining flexible to any change in a situation uh, and remaining level-headed enough to adapt accordingly is also is also important that brings in a bit of a 
a bit of sense of patience as well. So I think, you know, being able to, to properly prepare for anything as best as you can, but also uh, realizing that things can change any minute and things aren't going to, things aren't always going to go your way or as you uh, thought they would. And, and just being able to kind of roll with the punches is, is a good thing to keep in mind. Sure. And then uh, tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with, aside from Team RWB, that has you excited about what they're doing right now. Mm, besides us, um, you know, I, I I have to talk probably besides Team RWB, I'd have to just say, um, you know, Team Rubicon and, and the mission continues. They're two great partners of ours. Um, and we have uh, the, the three of us, along with some other VSOs, put on a really cool collaborative event called Run is One every yeah. April. Um, that's coming up and, uh, it's coming up and I think it's April 7th. Um, and this is something that we've done with them for the last couple of years. And, uh, it's just a great event that shows some collaborative spirit among the organizations and this kind of collective commitment to our communities together. Um, with all three of those organizations, our membership overlaps. Um, we often have, you know, Team Rubicon and, and Mission Continues groups and platoons in, in similar cities to where we have chapters. And yeah. we do our, you know, we do our best to, to share events. But, you know, I have to say both of those organizations, um, they're doing such great things in their communities and trying to grow as well. Yeah, I've um, so yeah, I've I've learned when asking that question to always omit the organization that the person I'm interviewing is a part of because if I don't, they will always be like, "Well, I have to say," and then they'll they'll go with their and they're like, "I I can't let you off the hook that easily." Um, I get it. That's yeah, okay. uh, yeah. Run is one very cool event. Uh, JJ Pinter may actually be uh, him and I are looking to do an interview that would release that week to talk more about that event mm-hmm. and the significance of of collaborating across i think there's i think there's seven different vsos and i'll let i'll let him um uh talk more about that but uh yeah very cool event and i'm I'm glad you brought it up uh sarah thank you so much for joining me it was a really pleasure talking to you thank you for uh for sharing a lot of your stories for your service to our country and your continued service to veterans there at team rwb thank you so much i was glad to join you when my husband came home from vietnam he didn't really look into all his va benefits But now, I've got some health issues, and I'm glad VA is there for me. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. Again, if you want to read up on all 10 women veterans that were uh, that were featured in the Women Veterans Athletes Initiative, you can go to va.gov slash womenvet. Uh, you can read up on uh, all 10 of those athletes and see the uh, pictures taken by Stacy Pearsall of the Veterans Portraits Project, who, uh, who did a wonderful job capturing uh, the personalities of these veterans. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Douglas Monroe. Service is the U.S. Coast Guard. He was a singleman first class. Conflict, World War II, Year of Honor, 1942. Citation reads, For extraordinary heroism and conspicuous gallantry and action above and beyond the call of duty as a petty officer in charge of a group of 24 Higgins boats engaged in the evacuation of a battalion of Marines trapped by the enemy. 
engaged in the evacuation of a battalion of Marines trapped by enemy Japanese forces at Point Cruz, Guadalcanal on 27 September 1942. After making preliminary plans for the evacuation of nearly 500 beleaguered Marines, Monroe, under constant strafing by enemy machine guns on the island and at great risk of his life, daringly led five of his small craft toward the shore. As he closed the beach, he signaled the others to land, and then in order to draw the enemy's fire and protect the heavily loaded boats, he valiantly placed his craft with its two small guns as shield between the beachhead and the Japanese. When the perilous task of evacuation was nearly completed, Monroe was instantly killed by enemy fire, but his crew, two of whom were wounded, carried on until the last boat had loaded and cleared the beach. By his outstanding leadership, expert planning, and dauntless devotion to duty, he and his courageous comrades undoubtedly saved the lives of many who otherwise would have perished. He gallantly gave his life for his country. We honor his service. That's it for episode 91. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Do appreciate ratings and reviews in your podcatcher of choice, whether that be iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, wherever you may listen. And do give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs for more stories and images from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. <laughs>